0: We're going to continue our series of classes on Halacha, practical observance of Jewish law, the do's and the don'ts in detail. We're going to begin a series on the laws of Pesach, and of all the laws of Pesach, which there are many, and given the limited time that we have, um, A, we're going to try to keep things moving, cover as much ground as we can, we're not going to get bogged down in academics or theoreticals or hypotheticals, we're just going to focus on Tachlis. And also, I'm going to try to guide our learning to focus on areas that maybe don't get a lot of spotlight, but are important. So I'm pretty sure that most people know um, that there are 15 steps to a Seder, and that you start with Kiddush. But some of the other areas of Halakha around Pesach might not get as much airtime. So I'd like to focus on that. So that's why I decided, um, executive decision, that we're going to begin with the laws of Bidikat Chametz, searching for Chametz, Ubi Tulo, and the relinquishing of ownership of Pesach, which is an important part of the laws of the observance of Pesach. Um, because, as, as beautiful and as lovely as having a Seder and eating Matzah and essential to Pesach, as that is, equally central and important and lovely is the prohibition and the abstinence from all Chametz in terms of consumption, and in terms of ownership. So this is what this is about. Without further ado, let's dive in. If Aleph, we're beginning chapter 111, Simon Kuf Yud Aleph, The Laws of Searching for chametz and Relinquishing of Ownership. It has 17 sub-paragraphs. Aleph, sub-paragraph 1. Pesach, mm-hmm. the night before, the day before Pesach, we search our house for chametz one must um, inspect the house immediately at the beginning of night, in other words, once nightfall hits that 's when the obligation to search the house for chametz begins, and you must do it right then. and because the mitzvah to do this kicks in right at the beginning of the night half hour before then is already a time when you should not be doing anything that would distract you, that would get you carried away, which means don't be eating, don't, doing, don't do any work, um, don't study Torah. You have to be standing by, focused, ready to jump into action as soon as the night kicks in. Base. Number two. We use a simple, one wick, beeswax candle to search, and not a braided candle, like a hafdalic candle, because that becomes like a torch. The Gemara says that you should not use such a bright flame, uh, uh, such a big torch for searching for chametz. Three extra points if you know why. Why only a candle, not a torch. So if my memory serves correctly, it's because if you're holding a torch in your hand with a huge flame, you're going to be very reluctant to go into the crevices, into the cracks. Is there any chametz there? (laughs) Your house is on fire. So you're going to do a mediocre job of searching. You're going to search in big open spaces. Oh, great, guess what? Your kids don't usually hide bread right in the middle of the floor. They put it between the pillows of the couch. So you need a little candle that you won't be um, afraid to bring with you into the search, into the crevices and so on. That way you'll make sure you actually do a solid inspection. If you don't have a beeswax candle... You can use a regular wax candle as well. And best if you have a, uh, a candle with fat. I'm not sure what that means. I guess there were some candles made of actual fat. If you're not using beeswax. So beeswax is the preference. Pretty easy to find these days. Um, <clears throat> at least in bigger Jewish communities, they sell nice bedikat chametz sets. Beeswax candle, wooden spoon. Some of them actually come with uh, pre-packed 10 pieces of bread. Um, And if you pay extra for the VIP, they'll even send a guy to do the search for you. No, I'm kidding. But, yeah. Okay, Gimel, number three. You should check. Where do you check? All the rooms where you should be concerned that it's possible that chametz was brought into those rooms. Including sellers attics, stores, shops, and uh, and storage houses of, of firewood. Anything where it's possible people would have brought in some Hametz food, you have to check them. You also have to check any kind of utensils that would hold Muhammad's. Before the checking, You have to sweep and clean all those places. Clean them out of any chametz. That makes it easier for you to search it properly and see what what little chametz might be left there. I will tell you, for those of you who may be a little skeptical and say, look, we cleaned the house well, there's nothing left to find, it's all good. It's kind of like the same thing, along the same skepticism of uh, of checking uh, produce for insects where most of the time you check, you don't find anything. And most of the time you search for chametz, and if your house is a nice Jewish house and it was clean for Pesach, it's unlikely that you'll find anything. However, in this very room, right there, in that corner, it's found a nice chunk of bread, literally, a chunk of bread rolled away during some Shabbos meal. I don't know how long it sat there. Um, but What's that? snack for later. Some, somebody must have stored it away as a snack for later, but it was like, you know... Big crouton-sized chunk of bread, and it evaded the cleaning that happened, it avoided any sweeping that happened, and it was just sitting there waiting to prove the point that you can never be too sure. And the reason that we're so anxious about chametz is very important to understand. We have an old established custom to be very, very anxious when it comes to Pesach. Nothing I'm going to say in general. <laughs> uh, well, Jews and, and uh, we're all a little neurotic and anxious, and it's a whole other story, but Pesach is like in fifth gear. But there's good reason for it. It's not just OCD. It's not just anxiety. It's that chametz on Pesach has a unique level of prohibition, which is pretty much unlike anything else in the Torah. And that is that chametz does not become nullified in anything. Most other prohibitions of food, um, if you have a certain volume, it's not a big deal. And so, first of all, in in the kitchen, and when it comes to cooking or preparing food or anything like that, were there to be even a drop, a tiny drop of chametz that was not cleaned out of the kitchen or kashered in the oven and so on, and somehow makes its way into your food, it doesn't become nullified. It does not become um, absorbed within the greater quantity of whatever food you're making, that's kosher for Passover, and becomes irrelevant. It, on, on, in other, uh, for example, non-kosher food during the year, it could become absorbed in the kosher food and it could become become irrelevant. Pesach, chametz never becomes irrelevant. It never becomes batal. So you you can never clean too much because the tiniest amount of chametz and the greatest amount of kosher for Passover food is still going to be a problem. Chametz is asur b'mashuhu, even a tiny amount There's no minimum amount of chametz, no minimum volume of chametz that will present an issue. Does dog food count? One second. And also, that's the second point, that chametz is not only forbidden for you to consume, it's forbidden for you to own, and it's forbidden for you to benefit from. You can't derive any benefit from chametz during Pesach, which means if you own a grocery store, you can't sell, you can't do business in chametz, so if you're, for example, an alcohol distributor, there are lots of Jews in the alcohol distribu- distribution business. So you own your business, owns, your privately owned business, has possession of millions of bottles of alcohol. 90% of them are bona fide comments. So you either have to shut down totally, you can't derive any benefit from this comments, during Pesach. You sell your entire company in the process of selling a khametz. You pick up business again after khametz is over. The only other thing you can do is sell your company to somebody who will continue operating if you don't want to lose your customers, whatever. Continue supplying them, but you can't make that money. So you'll sell your business on a temporary basis, whatever, the proper setup of how it's done, and whoever buys it will be in charge of fulfilling orders and shipping out you know, to the customers, and after Pesach you buy it back, but you can't actually derive any benefits. So that means, <clears throat> to respond to your question, you can't feed your dog, chametz on Pesach. Why are you deriving benefit? Because you have a responsibility. It's not a benefit in halacha means any sort of. Um, um, it, it doesn't mean benefit only in the sense of I enjoy it personally. There's I discharge an obligation through this is a benefit. Um, I make some money from it is a benefit. And any kind of... In in the halachda language, it's hatava. Any kind of of benefit is another way to put it. Something good that comes to you. Um, So you have a responsibility to feed your dog. Right? You should take care of your animals. You can't do that through khametz. Because that would be deriving benefit from khametz in the discharging of your responsibility. So so Jewish dogs usually eat very well at Pesach because... People could either like go through the hassle of finding kosher Passover dog food, or just say, listen, doggy, have some brisket. Here's a piece of chicken. You'll eat whatever we eat for a week. And uh, yeah, Jewish dogs usually eat pretty well on Pesach. Um, At least they should. But isn't for chametz in certain forms, that's mixed before Pesach? Doesn't that become Motho? If team, it's... There's yes. About that, yes, right? yes, yes. There is a thing about that. If you do it before Pesach, and it's completely lost in that mixture then you're not doing the bital on Pesach it's true, yeah. true. It still butthole, it's right. still it's Uh it. probably yeah but that's but again for this reason you have to do that before Pesach yeah, yeah yeah. because once it's Pesach you cannot it doesn't become bittal anymore that's the anymore. Deal, like buying eggs beforehand and right right a lot, of, a lot of people who will do I know some people who will go so far as to do all their cooking before Pesach although that's pretty rare oh, I know some people who do that very rare very rare very rare but just for the point of it like yeah that way, they know even if yeah. God forbid something happened, it was all before Pesach. Yeah. True, good point. Yeah. But again, that that itself is based on the fact that once Pesach hits, there's you no there's no there's yeah. no bittel. Yeah. So then, do you do you need to get kosher Pesach dog food, or just grain free? Because grain free dog food is quite popular. Grain-free. Grain-free dog food. Yeah. People get concerned about their dogs yeah. having grains for Okay. Mm-hmm. mostly pseudo-scientific health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but grain-free dog food, there might be a, you know, a tiny bit of contamination in Paleo-dial. it. Paleo diet. It'll of course be done before Pesa. Supposedly, but you, you, you would want to know for sure that mm-hmm. you're, in, you're in the clear. Again, given if, 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 then yeah. But I don't know if you could just buy a bag of grain-free dog food and say, hey, I assume that my ratios are good, I assume it wasn't produced in a plant that had grain and blah, blah, blah. You probably want to verify that. I think they have like core MKO OU. For- yeah, no, there are, there are, they're out there. I'm just saying like yeah, as an option, for- if you want to feed your dog, good stuff. Okay. I don't think the do- dog will complain if he gets roast chicken and brisket every day Pays up. I'm just saying on behalf of all the Jewish dogs, they do a good job, give them a good week, you know. Someone to look forward to. The dog probably the only one in the house who is really <coughs> excited about pay. Everybody else is groaning and quetching. The dog is like. Pfft. Okay. Um, fine. Number four, Dalit. A barn. I think it's a barn, right? A refus is a barn? Or a trough? This is a, a cow shed. A cow shed? A safariot, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a barn. A barn for cattle where you would put out some grain for the for the animals to eat. And same thing, a chicken coop, where you put some grain out for the chickens to eat. Do not need to be checked. Because if you're putting out raw grain, you first of all, raw grain in and of itself is not chametz. Um, and if you're putting out raw grain, then it's possible that it never became leavened. So what you're checking for might not have ever existed, so you don't have to check those places for Chametz. And if you want to say it did become eleven, maybe the animals ate it all. In other words, you have up here what's called a double suffix, sveksveka. In most cases in halacha, sveksveka um no longer an issue. However, if you placed feed that was already leavened, even if it was just raw grain that was leavened, or an actual leavened product, now here you only have one doubt, did they eat it all, or did they leave some over? But I know for sure what I put there was leavened product. We don't rely just on the possibility that maybe they ate everything, maybe not. As one of my rabbis in yeshiva was very fond of reminding me that the power of maybe is always negated by the power of maybe not. So maybe is not a theory for anything you're trying to build or prove. Um, if you have a double maybe, a double doubt, that that, that might mean something. And he adds up, however, if you, were the farmer, the, the animal owner, did not feed them any leavened product for 30 days before Pesach, then you do not need to check it, even though previously you had given them leavened product. You must check all areas of your house, holes, crevices, as much as possible. There comes a point where it's not possible to check. Some things are beyond your reach. So you're off the hook. Until that point, you're on the hook. Also the pockets. Your clothing, children's clothing. Sometimes people put food in their pockets. Never heard of such a thing they must be checked. And they must be well um, shaken out the next morning when the chametz is being burnt. And if it's possible that you or your children put chametz in your pockets in the next day, then you should check the pockets the next day. Whenever there's whatever whatever risk there might be, you know. Is where you have to check. That's basically the guiding policy here is is wherever there is a a reasonable risk that Chametz existed, requires B'dika. If you know, certainly, that this place never ever would have had Chametz, that would be an example of, of a scenario where you don't have to check. He's probably going to give some examples of that later. Number six. Now, we all know that when you go through the process of selling chametz, selling chametz allows you to have some chametz that remains physically in your house even though it's no longer legally yours. So you're going to put this in some special room or a special cabinet or a special closet which we be de- designated as the chametz space and you're going to lock it up and put skull and crossbones and caution crime scene tape all around it. But right now, right now it's still yours. Right now, it's a place that needs to be checked. So even though you're going to sell it eventually, it's going to be out of, off your hands, right now on this night, it still belongs to you. Um, and therefore, you still have to check it tonight. There's certainly comments there. Except you won't remove it, because you know that you're going to be selling it, but you should check. Zion number seven, Koydem before you begin to check, you make the bracha, barach atah Hashem, alakinu melech ha'el, mashar, chametz, Hashem commanded us to destroy chametz, one of the mitzvahs of the Torah, one of the mitzvahs associated with Pesach. Although at this point, you're only checking, you're not destroying, so why are you saying a bracha for the destruction of chametz, when you're only checking for it? The reason is that right after you finish checking, what you're gonna do is bital. So there's a few terms. Bidika means searching for chametz. Bittl means that you relinquish ownership of chametz. And there's a there's a specific text that's in the Siddur that you say, specific formula that legally renounces your ownership of the chametz, which is an important part, fulfilling the mitzvah of not possessing any chametz on Pesach. So, you don't possess chametz on Pesach, first of all, by getting rid of it physically as best as you can, which is what the search is for. And then whatever you couldn't or didn't capture with the search, you have the bittul where you say, whatever I didn't capture here, whatever is not being sold, I, I relinquish ownership, it's not mine anymore. And it's considered as dust of the earth. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's worthless, I don't care about it, it's meaningless to me, and it's not mine, I, I don't own it anymore. And that's part of fulfilling the mitzvah. So therefore, because you're going to do that after the chametz, after the after the search, you're doing the bitul, after the bedika, you're doing the, the relinquishing, the renouncing of ownership, after the search, so you can indeed say the bracha, I'll be your chametz, Hashem commanded us to destroy chametz, because one of the ways of fulfilling that mitzvah is not only physically eliminating chametz, but also relinquishing, and renouncing ownership. <speaking in Hebrew> should not make any interruption between saying this bracha and immediately beginning to search. Ideally, should not interrupt with any kind of talking until the badika, until the search is done. <speaking in Hebrew> only if you must speak about something that has to do with the inspection, the search for chametz. Because basically, it's a general rule. Whenever you're doing a mitzvah, that you want to have the the bracha and then actually doing the mitzvah. And because the entire search is one long fulfillment of the mitzvah, ideally you say the bracha and you do the mitzvah, even though it might take you anywhere from fifteen minutes, five minutes, depending on how big your house is. It could be half an hour, it could be an hour, depending on how thoroughly you're searching, it could be how, and, and how much property you need to search. Um, so ideally, you won't speak about anything that has nothing to do with the with the search itself. And if you need to, for whatever reason, you can say one bracha and then keep that going as you search multiple homes. Ches number eight, a couple more. Many have a custom. That before the search begins, they put out pieces of bread in certain places in order that the person who is doing the inspection should actually find something. Otherwise, I figured I cleaned my house so well, here yeah, I'm going to make a bracha to destroy and eliminate chametz, and I'm not going to find anything. So it will turn out that I made a bracha for nothing. That's, that's the theory of, of putting out bread. At least you know that you're going to find some chametz for sure. The truth is, and the Alter Rebbe writes this: that even if you did not find any chametz, it's not—it's not a bracha. You're not taking God's name in vain. It's not a bracha levatala, because the the mitzvah of searching is what you're is what you're doing, and you you're doing that. You're fulfilling the mitzvah, so it's not a bracha in vain. If it would be a bracha in vain, if you made the bracha and just sat back on your couch to watch, to watch the hockey game, that would be a bracha in vain. But if you make the bracha and you go search, so you did it. It's not a question. You don't have a mitzvah to find something. You're not, you're not obligated to find something, you're obligated to search. So you did it. But since it's already spread out, and this is the custom, um, and we have the famous teaching here, Minak Shah Yisrael Tayrahi. Jewish customs are also part of Tayrah. And so we respect that custom once it's been established a certain way, and now that becomes the way we do it. So, in other words, custom is, and is what you should do put out pieces of bread. Custom is 10 pieces of bread, and that's just the way it developed. And therefore, it should continue. The flip side is that if you lost the plot, and instead of actually searching your house, all you did was ah, yeah, I put a piece of bread on my dresser, you go around just collecting all the pieces you put out, so you basically completely inverted the whole purpose of the search purpose was to search for chametz in all the places that you might find it. You wanted to make sure you find something, so you just, okay, as a, as a cherry on top, you spread some chametz around the house. And the next step of this evolution, of the distortion is that you go around collecting the pieces, instead of actually looking for chametz in places, now you really made a bracha levata'ala. Now you've completely missed the point. That's not how you would fulfill the mitzvah of searching for chametz. And you have to make sure that's not what you're doing. Very interesting that, uh, that he points that out, because um... I think especially when you do a solid job cleaning, it's kind of like, all right, this is just ceremonial. Let's just gather up the pieces and move on. Um, But again, you can't be too careful. And this has to be a real search as best as you can. I think that some people have a greater um, patience and tolerance level of, of keeping the search going for a while. But to the best of your ability, make it a real search. Don't just go through the motions and certainly don't just go around collecting the pieces of bread that you already put out. That's just a joke. Test number nine. One more. If after the search for chametz is over, so it's very common that you would leave some chametz available to yourself for eating until tomorrow morning. There's a certain time, the morning of Erev Pesach, where you can no longer eat chametz. Until that point you can eat. So you're going to leave some chametz over. Or you're going to leave some chametz over that you're not destroying or eliminating because you're selling it. So you're going to put it in your chametz closet, your chametz room, your chametz cabinet, whatever it is, your chametz bag, and um, you're going to be selling it. So that chametz, before you begin to search for chametz, put all that chametz, whether it's the one you're selling or the one you're eating still until tomorrow morning, put it in somewhere safe as well as the comments that you find anything that you find during the search should be placed in a special place make sure that doesn't go find, find legs and walk away and put in a place where you'll see it and you won't forget to burn it okay We'll break here and hopefully finish this chapter next time.